Hey, all right, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Heal Thyself Show. And thank you, as always, for taking the time out of your day and really sharing the show with your loved ones who you know can benefit from. I'm always in awe of people DMing me and saying, you know, my grandma in Estonia is watching your show and we've translated it for her. That's really powerful for me because it's helping a lot of people and you never do realize when you're sitting in front of the camera just how expansive the influence is. But uh, as always, a lot of gratitude for you spending the time here. Today's show, we have an amazing interview coming up. Now, Mark Rose, if you follow him, his page is Create the Love, and he is one of the brightest minds when it comes to talking about the dynamics of relationships. Now, this show is for everyone, because everyone has been in a relationship, will be in a relationship, is in a relationship, or even if they're single, we need to develop and foster a relationship with ourselves. So regardless, the episode is all about healthy relationships and how we show up for ourselves and each other. Now, Mark seems to have tapped into some other world consciousness because when he explains these really important dynamic factors between us, these concepts of how we strengthen our bonds, he does it with simplicity and articulation. And I know you're gonna love his work. If you know his work, you've seen him talk about dating, breaking up, you've seen him talk about arguments, how to show up in arguments, how to bond more, how to find love after being in relationships so many years, and really how to open your heart to have a really fruitful, long-term, and more importantly, deep relationship. So Mark is the man, and I can't wait to get him here. Before we do start, I just wanna put out a challenge to you all. I always recommend one of the most important practices being for us to get back in our bodies. So take the time this week, every single day, maybe five minutes to get back in your body. Uh, one of our shows, we've talked about specific breathing techniques that'll help you get back in your body. But as a reminder, even if you wake up in the morning, take five minutes to scan your full body, every single toe, all the way up your leg, to your knees, to your thighs, around your waist, belly, all the way to your neck, all the way to your face, all the way to your head. If you get to feel your body and how alive it is at every part of it, you're coming back to it. Now, the beauty of that is this. When you're removing yourself from all of the energy that's going on in logic and to-do list, execution, which is great, right, for us to go to work and survival and moving through the world, but we take away so much of our lives and being. So what I'm offering you now is a challenge to come back to being, right? 99% of our day is doing, and it's really affecting our mental, emotional, and physical health. So take some time to be, even if you don't meditate, just take some time to be in your body. See how your breath feels. See how your body feels. See where there's tension anywhere in your body. See if there's pain anywhere in the body, because remember this, your body is always, always talking to you. Your body is an intelligent consciousness and is sending you out signals always. Take the time to get in your body, feel into it, and see if anything comes up. That's the power of coming to your body because when you do, you will begin to see and feel the very things that are holding you back from your greatness. All right, you ready for this very special guest? I'm very excited to talk to him. Try out that challenge. Only requires five minutes a day. DM me if you're trying it out and if you find any speed bumps or if it's really easy for you, um, I would love to know more about what's going on. So check it out. You know, skincare isn't just about looking good, right? A lot of us want to look good, but it's not just about looking good. It's about nurturing your skin and being well-balanced from the inside out. And, you know, this world is flooded with a bunch of harsh chemicals that are really insulting our skin, our barrier. 
and you want something truly effective that is safe, Alitura is one of the best in the game. If you never heard of Alitura, you just think of, you might've seen some uh, black bottles with gold writing on it. It's one of the best and they're always at health events and people are loving them and their quality. Alitura Naturals has crafted a serum that is not only safe, but also incredibly effective. Listen, a lot of you ask me where I get my glow from. This is a huge part of the equation. Their gold serum isn't just another skincare product. It's a testament to the power of natural healing and a commitment to holistic health. It uses organic ingredients like jojoba, olive, rosehip oils, and the gold serum is made organically with plant-derived vitamin A, not synthetic stuff, not that nasty stuff that you're getting in a lot of these over-the-counter products. GHKCU and marine collagen to revitalize your skin. Alitura Naturals has been using the best ingredients in their products for years. They've been pioneering the path for what truly transformed skin should be. So if you're ready to take control of your skin health and experience the pinnacle of natural beauty, I highly recommend checking out Alitura Naturals. For a limited time, you, the Heal Thyself listener, will enjoy the exclusive discount, just the Heal Thyself discount, only for you. That's 20% off of this gold serum. Go to alitura.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That's A-L-I-T-U-R-A.com and get that 20% discount. It's amazing stuff. I use it every night before bed and I'm telling you, I'm on fire with my skin in a good way. Check it out. All right, let's face it. With all the toxins we're exposed to nowadays with processed foods, pollutants, and even stress, our poor livers have been working overtime. If you've been feeling sluggish, bloated, or just overall rundown, it may be time to give your hardworking liver some extra love and support. That is where Organifi's Liver Detox comes in. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfoods. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfood ingredients specifically designed to remove excess toxins and improve digestion, promote healthier energy levels, and just overall liver health. Now, one of the key ingredients is artichoke leaf extract, which has been clinically proven to help detoxify the liver and digestive tract. Then you got the all-star liver protector. You heard of it, milk thistle, an herb that has been used for centuries to give your liver a big old hug. That's not all. Organifi's liver detox also contains dandelion root, one of my favorite ones of all time, which is loaded with vitamins and minerals to promote healthy liver function and digestion. And finally, Trafalia, an ancient Ayurvedic formula packed with antioxidants that has been traditionally used as a powerful liver tonic, one of my favorite ones too. So whether you're dealing with sluggish digestion, low energy, or just want to give your body's main detox engine a little extra love, Organifi's Liver Detox has your back. Just take one to three capsules at any point during the day to start supporting your liver's natural detox pathways. All of us need to be supporting our liver. If you want to experience the energy boosting, liver supporting effects of this fantastic formula, head to OrganifiShop.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I shop.com slash DRG. All right, everyone. Today's special guest, Mark Groves. He is the human connection specialist. He is all things lover of connection, relationships, personal growth, looking at yourself and how you show up in the world. I look at your Instagram page, and every time I thought I've mastered this part of my life or relationships, I hear you and I'm like, huh, <laughs> that resonates way deeper than whatever I convinced myself that is true. It's so eloquent and so just direct. It's like, here, this is what you need to see. And that's why I believe so many people um, respond so well to you, man. But welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, man. I'm so excited to be here, you know, in that lens of, uh, the holistic approach to being human and how we relate. I mean, we're always being invited to mastery in relationship, but in life. And I just find that, you know, romantic relationships are this magnifying glass to our relational challenges, our mm -hmm. dysfunctions in communication. And so if we're willing to look at them, 
they're a gold mine of how we can grow, how we can change, how we can heal. And uh, of course, that's obviously in, in, uh, very important in the concept of healing in general. My two biggest, three biggest jumps and catalysts for growth have been post-relationships. And the one I'm in now, it's like I was uh, Christian or Dr. G uh, 5.0 and now I'm 11.0, all in a matter of like seven months. It's crazy. It's like, here's a mirror. This is your shit. You ready to see it? And finally, I'm humble enough to be like, that is my, that is mine. Instead of like looking over and being like, I'm mad at you. We were talking about you're a pharmaceutical rep. And then how did you just shift into this world that you're in and what you're giving to the world? I think so much of our passionate work, whatever that might be, is derived from our own challenges. So for me, I was a pharma rep studying how do you influence behavior? How do you get a doctor to change their prescribing habit, choose a different product? So it really came from this idea of how do I manipulate behavior, you know, to put, put it simply. And then at the same time, I went through a breakup in my late 20s. And I thought to myself, like, why am I so good at talking about everything but my feelings? Like, it's not a skill set issue. There's something more going on. And why did no one teach me how to relate? like how to be good at relationships. And I started to study relationships. I was mm. lucky enough from my background in pharma to be able to read trials and, and really garner a lot of information. And then how do I apply this to my life? And then I thought, why is no one else learning this? So I started to write about them, started to speak about them, went back to school, studied positive psychology. And it, yeah, I mean, really the birth was to try to heal myself, you know, was to, you know, ultimately I think we turn our mess into our message and then, we sort of become the teacher we needed. That's why, you know, in the concept of growth, you're just never done. And relationships, as you were saying, you know, your seven months has been like this supernova of expansion. The same is true for me. Like when I was younger, I didn't look at my partner's feedback as this gateway to my evolution. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, hell no. I was more like, I, I didn't have the self-worth to be able to hear that I needed to be better at communicating or I got defensive sometimes or a lot of times. And so it was when I see my partner today and she says, hey, I noticed this or this is how I experienced that, I literally see it as an invitation for me to be a better human. Yeah. And the exponential effect that that has on not just every relationship in my life, because if you get, I mean, I feel like if we can develop the skills to be in dialogue with someone where we actually face possible rejection or abandonment, I mean, you can do everything well. Right. Because like romantic relationships are challenging because we've been taught that some way that being validated by someone, by them choosing us, that then we are validated as being worthy of being chosen. Mm -hmm. And so that hinges on every conversation, that, that fear that I won't be enough. If we haven't explored that and processed our, our lack of worthiness, then that will always be the conversation we're actually having below the thing about the dishes or the towel on the bed or whatever it might be. Not that those things aren't annoying, but that often the things we're fighting about are not actually the things. We focus on the content, but it's really what is below that, the mm. unmet emotional need, the I don't feel important, I don't feel prioritized, I don't feel like you understand me or whatever it might be. Mm. So, uh, and, and I, I believe in that because I found myself arguing about something trivial and I'm like, wait a minute, it is not about this. Right. It is not because I feel it, she feels it. How do we become more in touch with the underlying motivation behind the argument? What is, what is really pressing, what is sponsoring the way that we're showing up? Uh, what questions do we ask ourselves? First, just asking the question. Like, 
why is it that I do what I do? You know, when I think about that, that moment when I was 27 and went through that breakup, that really was this moment and opportunity for me to say, how did I get here? Why did I choose this? Why do I show up like this in relationship? And to me, that's really what an awakening is, you know, is starting to be conscious of what we do and, and to be aware of our awareness, yeah. which is really an interesting place to get to because I felt like so much of my early life was chosen unconsciously, you know? And all of a sudden I'm like, wait, I can consciously choose what my relationships are gonna be like. So just asking the question, why do I show up the way I do? We often think that the people that we are most, you know, they say like, oh, you're attracted to your opposite sex parent if you're heterosexual. Mm -hmm. That's not true. You know, you're usually attracted to the person who wounds you in a similar way to the parent that wounded you the most. I see. So if I felt like I had a lack of, like my dad wasn't around when I was a kid, I, then I probably have a significant wound of not feeling important. And so we might ask ourselves the question, the thing I wanted most as a child and didn't get was. And so that usually is a familiar feeling that we actually choose partners that actively make us feel that way. Mm -hmm. Of course, we usually have the same impact on our partner. It's not a one-way thing, although that'd be awesome for all of us and our egos. You know, it's like, they wound me. No, we wound them too. It's interesting how we adapt because let's say my dad wasn't around, as I said, when I was a kid. So my strategy might be to be attracted to people long distance, be attracted to people who work shift work, who are unavailable, who are mm -hmm. maybe in other relationships and I'm their side gig, you know, that... I might actively seek that wound. Ultimately, I see it as this desire to finally heal it. And usually if you look up your family tree, if you're male, you go up your paternal line. If you're female, you go up your maternal line. You'll see a familiar uh, emotional state, a familiar longing. And so you can start to identify it. And that's why I think healing, you know, is really the work of being able to heal generations of stuff. Yeah and to have compassion for it. Because like if no one ever taught you and I how to actually relate, how to build intimacy from conflict, how the hell would we know how? I went to a Catholic high school, or Catholic school throughout. I mean, sex ed didn't exist at all. And relational education didn't really exist either. And so no one has armed us with these tools that ultimately have the greatest impact on not just our health, yeah. but also our lives. And to finish the other point, if if one of my things is to be attracted to someone who's unavailable, I actually might go the complete opposite and be attracted to people who are around too much, maybe controlling, maybe smothering. Again, so I've gone to both extremes, one where no one's around or one where they're around too much. And the healing, of course, is to be able to come to the middle. And I think the ultimate conundrum or or thing that we're always battling in relationship is how do I be in a relationship with you and a relationship with myself at the same time? We're sort of uh, bumping up each other's sovereignties. Mm -hmm. Really, the relationship should be a place where we value each other's independence and each other's dreams and beliefs. And what's fascinating to me from what we have observed and inherited relationally is that relationships are not often the place where we go to be all of ourselves or to find what we love. They're often the place that we turn down the volume on our truth and our thoughts and our feelings and our opinions and our dreams, which is crazy to think about because this is the most important relationship we will ever have. Yeah. And it will significantly impact every aspect of our lives. And so it should be a space that is liberating in a lot of ways. I feel like that concept 
is, uh, is in itself foreign and in a way is a rebellion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, big time. And, and that's how it perpetuates that generational trauma because it's, it's given to us so many times right in front of us. I'm sure my dad, my mom, all the way up the lineage, all the way up the lineage. Um, one thing you talked about was healing by attracting mm-hmm. these, these wounds that we have. And I'm, I'm totally in agreement. Like, when we have a physical wound, our cut heals and we, it just happens, you know? There's, there's this vitality within us that knows balance. I believe the emotional wounds happen in a similar mechanism in the way we do by attracting people circumstances, situations, whatever it is, in the same way for us to make that decision to finally see that wound and heal. And that's why I do believe we absolutely attract those partners that show us those parts of us that really need the most amount of healing. And I've been through that process, man. It was like it was like maybe six or seven girlfriends where they kept triggering the same place, triggering, right? And and it's like this wound and it's it's always to them. And I'm like, you're the enemy, you're the enemy. And then right. The one time I, I had I broken up, we broke up. It was it was sort of like a mutual, like just like we're going our own ways. And I was just sitting there and I was like, well, how did I show up? And then I wrote it down. And then I said, how did I show up in this one before? Wrote it down. How about the one the girl from before? And it was the same way of me showing up. And then I went deeper and I go, well, what did they bring out of me? What did I bring out of them? Mm. And I saw a pattern. It was like I was figuring out some algorithm it's in like some Stanford whiteboard or something. Yeah, yeah, it was like dee 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 dee. Goodwill hunting. Yeah, it was Goodwill hunting. That's what it felt. And I was like. I can't believe I just solved something. <laughs> but it was so powerful to see that I, it, it has been me, it, I have been attracting these people and them, you know, synchronicity, vice versa. Yeah. Vice versa. But I, it, I understood how beautiful relationships were in that moment. Mm. And from that point on, I always had the awareness in relationships of going like, okay, is this my shit right now? Or is it, uh, mm. is this, is this hers? And let me be as humble as possible. So, you mentioned the relationship with yourself and allowing independence. There's a lot of people that get lost in relationships. I have. It, we know. all do. I have yeah. too. How do we go in with the awareness and, and what, what are the things that we do so we don't lose our sense of self? Because that is like, for me, the biggest trap in relationships. And then, and then once there's a breakup, they go, well, who am I? You know? right. Oh, no, I need them back in my life because my identity's gone. What do we do? Well, I think so much of... Uh what you're saying for me too, familiar uh, experiences every time a relationship ended that I felt like they didn't prioritize me. Yeah. And that is familiar for me. And so being able to recognize when I finally went through, uh, my fiance and I, we broke up for a year and then got back together. And in that that breakup, I had to explore all of that. I had to go deep into it and really you know, in relationship, we often show up one of two ways. We're either someone who gives way too much of ourselves and abandons ourselves, and we might think of that as uh, being codependent or being anxiously attached or um, self-abandoning, being a doormat. And the other side being that I'm an island. I'm not available to anything. You know, like, I don't need anybody is a common phrase uttered by someone in that state. And what's really interesting is both of those are not, they're both adaptive strategies, right? Like they're probably a familiar role that we had in childhood. As adults, that just doesn't work because the person who needs to look at where do I sell myself out or where do I, they've often made it so that the needs of the person they're in relationship with are what they oscillate around, Mm. right? So if I grew up 
always taking care of a parent or had a narcissistic parent, an angry parent, an abusive parent, an alcoholic parent, someone who had a chronic illness, or a sibling that the whole family oscillated around who was maybe sabotaging or creating a lot of drama, that I will have abandoned and learned to abandon my own needs in order to, for this family to survive. So that exploration of even asking someone in that state, if I say to them like, what do you want? What do you need? It's so foreign. They have not really even taken the time and so much of their relational patterns are actually about taking care of other people's needs. Mm. And so that breaking up, I always think of breakups, you said that like your greatest lessons have come from love. 100% true for me. All the most powerful lessons I've had about myself and life you know, I think of, we often say, well, my heart's broken. And I always think in breakups, your heart is only broken if you close it. But in the experience of a breakup, you're actually opening it. Like, I've always thought there's this interesting paradox that the more you love someone, inherently you are signing up for more pain. Yeah. Right? Like, the deeper I go, the more, you're almost feeling it at the exact same time. And I think if we haven't touched or explored the extremes of where heartbreak occurred or abandonment occurred or rejection occurred, we actually won't be able to go deeper with our partner. Mm. I'll be afraid of that, so I'll sabotage it. I'll yeah. come up with a relational pattern. I'll cheat on you. I'll, pick, I'll lie. I'll, I'll um, get in fights. Anything to prevent so I can almost like hold this specific capacity. So long way around the barn you know, to get to the idea of how do we get to know the self. Well. Heartbreak is, the, to me, one of the greatest doorways to the self. And there's this idea of like, you have to figure out what do you want, what do you need? A really powerful way to do that is to just look at people that you admire. Because people that we admire are ultimately displaying behaviors that we want to emulate. So it's an easy way for someone who actually doesn't know how to even define a self to begin the adventure of doing that. And that can seem daunting at first because we might have grief and sadness. I've never focused on myself. I've never thought about myself. And you gotta explore those feelings too. And if you're someone who's more the island, then it's learning how to open the door again. Because of course, when we're protective and walled up and independent, no one has access to us. Like we never really feel seen. I might feel the illusion of safety and it might feel safe but it's safety at the cost of connection. And the other one is connection at the cost of safety. Mm. So it's this inter interesting negotiation that we're always, like if learning how to manage and, and ask for your own needs to get met, that's great when you're not in a relationship. I think that's really interesting when we're single, we're like, I got my, you know, my poop in a group. Right. And then you get into a relationship and you're like, damn, I thought I had that figured out. Yeah, and then it really shakes everything up. I really mm. identify with the island. Uh, like I'm the island. That's man. more you. Yeah, and I, I just know what it. The the best way to illuminate that was exactly what you said. It's it's uh, the safety. There's I'm the, I'm I'm safe, but my connection is lacking. Right. And I've, for many reasons, I've attracted the opposite, where it's like, whoa, yeah, this person sense. is like fully open, and if I walk away, it's going to be really painful for them. But I'll mm -hmm. be but I'll be good, right? I'll right. be I'll be all right, and. Tracing that back to childhood, as you said, it's, it's in many ways sort of the things that we've learned, the things that have become comfortable and familiar for us in relationship. Those dynamics exist everywhere. And it's funny because mm -hmm. like, uh, you're, you're saying that and I can think of so many people who've talked to me and they're like, oh, there's really, I just can't open my heart. How do, I, and I'm not saying this is more for men or women, but I, I have met in my life more men who are like, my heart's closed. You right. know? <laughs> how, do we, how, do we get, how do we get those men uh, per se to, to really start opening up? 
you're right on average, like men tend to be more avoidant, which would be more of the island, and women tend to be more anxious. There's a lot of evolutionary reasons for that. Right. Um, and it's, it's just, our, again, our adaptive strategies. It's not anyone's fault. And we almost need to look at our current behaviors kind of like a scientist or an anthropologist would explore where things come from. Um, it's when we start to see our parents as the children of parents, that allows a little less of a charge when we look up the family tree. But being able to explore this, I mean, how do we open our hearts again? I've certainly been avoidant myself too. I like to pivot just to keep it more interesting. Yeah. You know, I like to be the island <laughs> and the overwhelm. Is to recognize, like, you know, were men generally socialized to explore their feelings? No, because there, there was a choice. Like you either experience emotionality or, and let go of masculinity. Right? right? Or you experience masculinity and not emotionality. It's, I mean, that's, that's challenging because it's this idea that emotionality is connected to masculinity right. and those two are completely separate. Right. But as a culture and a collective, that has definitely been correlated. And so as men or humans, because anyone can experience this, someone could have been shamed for their emotionality no matter their gender or identity and now have a hard time accessing it. Mm -hmm. To open it is to grieve all of that. You know, like we've been taught that really the, um, if you are sad or grieving, that there's something wrong with you. And there couldn't be a more toxic message, in my opinion, that here we are being informed by really intelligent feelings. Like if you're sad and your environment itself is sad, that's an accurate response to your environment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you were talking about if you have a cut, well, you would, or you were being hurt, you would pull your hand out of whatever is hurting your hand, like if you touched a stove. Mm -hmm. But why is it that when our heart is touching a stove, we are told that there's something wrong with us or that emotion is a problem and we should treat the emotion mm -hmm. to make it not as strong, not move our heart or change the environment. There's all this social messaging that is not reinforcing that there's actually something right with you, not something wrong with you. And getting back into that space, I mean, being able to begin to even accept that you can experience sadness and you can experience grief. I think men really are socialized to experience anger, rage, aggression, more in the sports arena. And that's where a lot of it gets let out. And maybe moderate bouts of joy. And women have certainly been told, don't be too much, don't be too emotional. So how do you get your man or a human to open their heart again? Is to be gentle with it. Like I find when someone's heart is closed, they don't even have the language to begin to describe what they're feeling because it's like a new skill. Like I remember when I first started to explore communicating how I was actually feeling uh, as opposed to driving fast when I'm upset or something stupid like that. No offense to anyone who's done that, but I certainly <laughs> have done that. I'm like mad in 18, she'll uh -huh. know if I drive faster. Uh -huh. So ridiculous. But when I started, I would use words like, I'm feeling this way. And, you know, my partner might be like, oh, are you sure? Like, does it, and I'd feel in my body. Does that feel accurate? Uh, no, maybe it's this. And we're really learning how to apply words to the somatic experience. I mean, that should be an adventure that's invited with curiosity. But I think so much of especially the experience in a heterosexual relationship, and again, true for many, any combination can be, is that it's like, I just want him to open his heart. I just want him to talk. Well, women have been socialized to talk about their feelings the whole time. 
And there's a lot of good evolutionary reasons for that. For a man, whatever age he might be, that might be the first moment he's done that. And I think we just have to have a little compassion for that. Not to say that we shouldn't have the uh, desire and the expectation of moving towards growth. Mm -hmm. But you're not going to get to open heart from never used or explored my feelings, never used words to explore my feelings before. Like those are just not logical reaches. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. That's how it was with me, a massive progression because in the beginning I was like, I don't know what I feel. It just doesn't feel good. (laughs) You know? I went from like caveman to like, (laughs) to starting to like identify some things and hopefully, I mean like what I found is that. Yeah, what helped you? What helped me was getting into my body. So if I'm in a situation that is having me in my head, cerebral, trying to put logic into it and just like trying to use my articulation to decide what's going on rather than like stop, get into like lay down in my bed, get into my body for 10 minutes, then come back downstairs and go, here's how I feel. Right. You know, Um, that's worked for me because without getting into my body, it's really hard for me to know that like I'm stepping on a thorn. Especially in the moment. Especially in the moment, right? Because all of a sudden, all of these emotional triggers from your past or what you've been taught, that comes up and that just overtakes really what you're trying to really connect and communicate. That goes for the island people. Now, the, for the people with the anxious attachment, as you would call it, um, who, are, who give up safety to just connect and, and right. really love deeply, something that I've always admired. That's always been what I want. You know, I want right. to create more of that. It has a romantic allure. Right? It does. Because it's, it's really what is more in the movies. Right. Two people right? just falling <laughs> for each other deeply. Often connected. with abandon. Yeah. Right? There's this romantic ideal of that. And I, I think it becomes also a, a dangerous trap of the martyr. Because it's like, but I just love and love and love. And this just is who I am. It's been a long time since I promoted a coffee because there's not that many good coffee brands. We got one of the best ones now on Heal Thyself. Are you ready to elevate your coffee game? And experience to prove that it's not only delicious, but it's also health focused. Let me introduce you to Purity Coffee. You heard me review them in one of my first ever coffee reviews as one of the best. And then my second ever one as one of the best. And it's one of the best still. It's an ultimate choice for coffee lovers who, who prioritize taste as well as well-being. I'm gonna tell you what makes Purity Coffee stand out from the crowd. Every step in that process is rooted in health focused principles backed by solid scientific research-based rigorous testing. They use the finest specialty-grade organic Arabica beans and then move on to small batch roasting, ensuring that each cup meets the highest standards of quality. But what really sets Purity Coffee apart from all the other coffee brands is their dedication, is my favorite, is their dedication to purity and safety. Their beans undergo third-party testing to ensure they're free of pesticides, toxins, and harmful mycotoxins, those pesky substances that can wreak havoc on your health, causing issues like liver and kidney damage, digestive problems, brain fog, and fatigue. Purity Coffee also has some of the highest antioxidant capacity, and this is important because we have to understand, coffee is actually really good for us when we're getting quality coffee. And the reason it's good for us and ensures so many benefits, especially heart health, is because of its antioxidant capacity. Purity has one of the highest antioxidants that you're going to find in coffee, giving you a powerful dose of healthy boosting compounds with every sip. Purity Coffee is grown on regenerative organic farms that prioritize soil health, animal welfare, and community well-being. They have certifications by USDA Organic, Rainforest Alliance, and Smithsonian Bird Friendly. You can also trust Purity Coffee is not only good for you, but also good for the planet. They have a range of roasts from their light medium roast with sweet fruity notes and their dark roast with rich bold taste. 
So to try out one of my favorite coffees in existence and one that I recommend to everyone still to this day, I've been doing it for years, is Purity Coffee. Go to puritycoffee.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your first purchase. That is P-U-R-I-T-Y-C-O-F-F-E-E.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your order. But really, when you're pursuing love without discernment, that's self-abandonment. That's a child energy that's seeking I just want connection. I just want connection. Because we haven't felt what's in the space of no connection. And, you know, what I like to say, like, normally we think anxious attachment is afraid, is like chasing love. And avoiding attachment is more running from love. And secure attachment is standing still and facing love. And really the defining characteristic of secure attachment is that my partner's needs matter as much as my own. Not more than my own anxious attachment, not less than my own avoidant attachment. And for people listening, you might think, can we be both? Yes, because you have secure attachment and then you have insecure attachment. And insecure attachment is expressed as anxious or avoidance. So it's easy to pivot between insecure attachment types and not actually become secure. I like to think of it as anxious people are afraid of their being space and avoidant people are afraid that there isn't space. So they both have injuries that are associated with closeness but their strategy for dealing with the injury is different. One chases and pursues and doesn't want the fear of rejection or abandonment, and the other one withdraws and creates space because they don't want to be consumed and enmeshed. So much of the people who experience avoidance, they might have also experienced trauma, so their minds might be like, I love, I want to love, I want to open, but there is actually pain associated with opening, like trauma associated with opening. So much of this work is, as you said, getting back into your body. Right, like someone who's avoidant who might be ghost or withdraw or stonewall, which is like hanging up the phone, leaving the house, not being available. It's actually about beginning to move closer. Withdrawing immediately triggers an anxious person, right? So again, see how these wounds play together. And so the anxious person has to learn how to self-regulate and also how to soothe themselves. So much of their soothing is because of this energetic, I'm afraid you're gonna leave. And so instead of holding the energy, they dispel it by chasing, over-texting, over-pursuing. And they end up, out of their fear of rejection, actually creating the very thing they fear. The person who's avoidant, recognizing that their distance actually wounds their partner, and the person who chases recognizes that they're chasing wounds their partner. So this is how when we have an understanding of what our behavior patterns and how they play together, all of a sudden the relationship becomes this place that if we're both intentional, we can heal it. Like if I say, oh, when I take distance, it hurts you. Okay. What I might do then is say, hey, I need to process this. I'm going to come back and it's up to the person who wants to take distance. I'm going to come back in a couple hours. The rule is 24 hours. Can't be more than that. And it's up to the person taking the space to do the coming back. Because what's happening for the other person is this building of trust. When you take distance, oof, that's hard. I trust that you're going to come back. And what happens is a mutual repair. This person can't over-pursue, and this person has to come a bit towards. This can take a little while, right? This isn't like we can know this. And it can take a while because we're dealing with reprogramming our nervous systems. That's why somatic work is also really important here. You've got all these things, you know, that you talk about too, like cold plunging, which increases your ability to have awareness over your body's response. I don't know about for you, but cold plunging and cold showers have completely changed my ability to observe my body's response. Oh yes. 
my God, because you're like in cold and you're like, I'm going to die. But you're not going to die, you know? And what we start to learn is discernment. Is this response appropriate? Do I need a boundary here? Do I need to change the way I'm speaking? Is this an old wound? And when we can start to pay attention to what we're doing in the moment, then we start to change what the moments look like. I think it's a Viktor Frankl quote that says something like, um, it's in the, the space between stimulus and response that you change your life. Mm-hmm. And that's so true because ultimately, like you were talking about, you, you look at the past girlfriends and then you see these patterns and then you know you're like goodwill hunting on the wall. That same thing when we're starting to look at patterns, the thing is that we think patterns, we personalize them. We think they're who we are. Like, I'm this, I'm, I'm messed up, I can't change this. I'll never find love, I'll never, whatever it is. But patterns are not who you are. They're just choices. And so when we can depersonalize them, then we can all of a sudden say, hey, instead of always going this way, if for once, I, instead of running or getting defensive, I actually choose this other thing, what is so beautiful about that is you end up in this conversation or space you've never been in which is ultimately very uncertain, but you start to create totally new experiences and you start to program your brain differently. So then you've got neuroplasticity and you've got possibility. And I mean, everything changes, I believe, from that. Yeah. You know, um, And meditation is a great way to begin to observe the mind. But it's not a one thing, like nutrition is important, right? Right, Because like if you're fueling yourself with gummy bears, don't get me wrong, there's nothing like a good gummy bear. But it's not going to facilitate having emotional resilience. Like you need good nutritious foods. And that's why I think all of this is how you do one thing is how you do everything. Because if you start with the body, you can start to alter beliefs. Like, oh, I do love myself. I do want to nourish myself. You keep your word. You wake up every morning, you make your bed, you meditate. Right. You start, you know, there's this saying that the, to, to, the opposite of trauma is choice. So as soon as you're in choice, right, you're able to recognize that you're choosing your life, you're taking responsibility for it. It's a, I mean, it's a beautiful demonstration that, that, that you have your own back. And mm-hmm. I think ultimately that's what we need to learn in relationship is do I have my own back? When like I'm facing my toxic behaviors, do I have my back to change? Do I love myself enough? Am I creating the future that I ultimately want? I mean, this takes a hyper sense of responsibility, much like healing and health does. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be able to pharmaceutical our way out of poor choices yeah. as much as we try. Mm-hmm. I mean, I used to be a rep selling that, so I get it. I so resonate with the, the choice part because I, when I'm doing my rituals, I, I always say I am choosing always. To, that's my preface for every single uh, affirmation that I say mm. during my rituals because every day I'm subtly telling myself that it's a choice. So even Mm -hmm. if something's difficult in my mind to show up as, I'm always saying I am choosing because essentially that's what I'm doing. The discomfort can't be undermined. Like it is difficult to choose differently when the, I can say it in my rituals. It's the hardest. Yeah, and then when I attract that situation and it comes right in front of me, I'm like, oh God, I know what this path is and this is such an easy path. I know how to react. I even know like what to do to, to like really get through this with no problem. But the truth is, is that that one step into like, it's the it, hardest. It, it feels so icky in your body. You're just like, how do I, how do I, what do I do? How do I move? But I've made this relationship based on 
doing the opposite of what I used to do. <laughs> Isn't that funny how that works? But it does work because mm -hmm. when it comes up again, I was like, hey, I remember I did this last month. Check this out, you know? Oh, check this out. Let me, let me now speak more of my truth. Actually, this was hurtful. Wow, I'm actually talking about my feelings, you know? Yeah. Oh, this was, I, I felt like what, what, I, what I respect wasn't seen here. Even the other day, I was having a conversation and I couldn't believe what I was saying. I was like, I am not feeling seen. Like, I don't feel like you see what I'm doing. Like, mm -hmm. to make a statement like that, it, it, you, you don't see me. And I was like, I've never said I'm not seen. It's so it, vulnerable. So Yeah, so the vulnerability is a major thing, but I'm, I'm so with you. The choice, because we all have that choice, because then we become empowered versus you know, just shackled and chained by traumas, then we go, how do I change right. this? I'd love to know more about like two people in a relationship as secure attachments. So maybe the viewers and listeners can go, oh, you know, this is something that maybe we can step into. Everyone can step into it. You know, uh, a lot of the thought is this is overwhelming or, or how do I actually change and become that? You know, you might ask in the moment, once you do a little more learning on what secure attachment is, which, as I said, it's about this mutual respect of their needs and yours. That, you know, you never, you don't want your partner to compromise their truth for you, and you don't want to compromise yours for theirs. What's interesting when you start to step into this space of honoring the self is you want to honor your partner's self, too. So whatever they're wanting to dream up, their needs, their feelings, the space that lives between you and I uh, romantically or friendship, it doesn't matter the type of relationship, has to be treated as sacred. So that commitment to one another, to honor this space, and obviously metaphorical, um, as sacred, means that I have to now choose the behaviors that come to create the sacred space. So I'm no longer, I can't bring toxicity, right? Like I can't bring old behaviors that are destructive. I mean, security is, uh, as I said, it's this idea that that I feel totally safe in this container. Your attachment system is constantly doing this, regardless if you know it or not. And it's doing it in all your relationships. It's saying, is this person safe and secure for me? Like, am I safe with them? Can I be myself? Well, often we've never been ourselves in relationships. So we might say, I can't. Or I don't feel like I can bring my complaint to my partner or my concern. So we never bring it. So I resent you that I can't bring it to you. Meanwhile, I've never brought it to you and I've never allowed you to hold it or expand. I'm not honoring the sacredness of this relationship and I also am not allowing you to develop the skills to do it. And I also get to be the martyr in the experience. A lot of us weaponize this type of silence, not realizing that if you're committed to the relationship, you have to live everything you want. You know, a lot of us ask the question, or we'll make the statement, my relationship isn't giving me what I need. That's a common sort of Dis, or disposition or, or position to our relationship. Instead of saying to ourselves, what does my relationship need from me to become that way or to feel that way? To move to security is about honoring the truth over everything. Listen, if you can't say I miss you or, I mean, I, you, you were talking about this, to be able to be vulnerable, then the space itself is not a space that honors vulnerability. Mm. You know, like often we think, and this is true, that if we bring the truth to relationships, I miss you, I feel uh, taken for granted, I, whatever it might be, that truth exists whether you talk about it or not. You might feel ill and you don't go explore what is actually creating it. The illness still exists. You just aren't empowered with the 
information to be able to change your life. It's no different in relationships. And often the concern is if I bring this truth or all of me or whatever that might look like to love or relationship, it might burn down the relationship. Yeah. But it is the only thing that actually is the gateway to the expanded version of the relationship. Wow. So it's so fascinating because in that thought of I'm afraid to bring this, again, perpetuates us wearing masks. But when we actually bring it, and let's say it breaks the relationship up, it means that the relationship couldn't hold the truth. I mean, that's a whole scary different place because everyone, for the most part, has been socialized to believe that the marker of relational success is that it lasts forever. But I don't know about you. I know a lot of people from all my youth to now who have been together for 10 to 70 years who don't even like each other. So relational length is a marker of relational success. It can be. But I would rather celebrate the depth of a relationship than an anniversary. You know, and when was the last time we heard that? Like, when was the last time someone's like, oh, man, grandma and grandpa, they talked about how they got through a fight like they never did before. We don't see that. And so because, you know, we get asked questions like, why are you single? Like, you have some sort of ailment. That, again, perpetuates this idea that there's something wrong with you if you're not in a relationship. So all of these truths that exist, what they create is an unconscious fear of actually saying the thing that might break us up. Because if we break up, then I'll be seen as a failure. And you know, you see this with divorce. You know, we sort of create this hierarchy in relationship, which is if you're married, you're better than someone who's engaged. If you're engaged, you're better than someone who's dating. If you're dating, you're better than someone who's single, and God forbid you're divorced. Right. Right. Which is so interesting because, like, really, when I think about, for the most part, people who have gotten divorced, and let's say that goes against their cultural norms and the religious norms or whatever it is, I actually see that as a radical form of revolution that they've been willing to face exile in order to be true to themselves. Now, that's obviously not true of all reasons people get divorced, Um, but it's true of a lot. When we start to see how this hierarchy affects you and I showing up to one another, um, which happens in families, happens in friendships, and we start to orient the relationship around the truth, then ultimately the relationship becomes a place where I'd rather you tell me the truth than us stay together. That's a whole different world. Mm -hmm. Because what also is recognized in there is that you're actually liberated in this relationship, not imprisoned. And I always think of Rumi's uh, quote, uh, why do you stay in the prison when the door's right there? Mm. We know the way out. The way out is having hard conversations. The way out is saying, this doesn't feel good anymore. Wow, we already knew that. But what a thing to make what's implicit and acting the way I... Uh, flirt with other people, or I don't text you back, or I'm passive aggressive, or I roll my eyes when you speak. All of those cues, or my body is ill. Like every time we avoid chaos on the external, it doesn't disappear. It just gets internalized. And, you know, we were talking before we started rolling about that behavior of how we handle conflict is shown in the data to increase leaky gut. I mean, when we're in the Gottman's research, they look at couples who have a high level of conflict, sitting beside each other, not in conflict, and their bodies are acting as if they're sitting beside a tiger. That's not a great state to be in. How do you heal when you're not in a rested, you know, rest and digest sort of position? And so, you know, this is the invitation, I feel like it's the invitation to everything, right? This like, if you can bring the truth to the world, you're free. And at the cost of belonging, I mean, that's ultimately the negotiation we're always in is, 
You know, we have, as Gabor Mate talks about, we have two needs as humans, the need to be authentic and self-express and the need to belong. When self-expression and authenticity threaten belonging, belonging wins. Yeah. Till it doesn't. Till there's the moment that you realize that you can't even hold the bullshit anymore. I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to. No, of course you are. You You can't even hold the bullshit anymore. And that is one of the best places to get to. That's why when someone leaves you and you feel shattered and like they took parts of you with them, you have to ask yourself, what did you give them? Yeah. How did they complete you? What a thing for someone to leave and leave you incomplete so you can recognize where you gave your wholeness away. I mean, it's a gift, but it's the most painful gift in the world. Especially when you think about the depth that all of us lack. I mean, hearing you say that in relationships, hearing you say that is like, yeah, I've even felt victim to being like, was it a successful relationship? When people are like, How, what's your longest relationship? I'm always like, oh, right. and then I say it. And then they're like, oh, okay, you have you had a, okay, yeah, I've had another long relationship. And I'm like, I guess I did pretty good in right. my head. Same. But the way you framed it had me stopping and thinking like, what is that? What's the depth of that relationship? Mm-hmm. To be honest, I've only had one relationship that is truly, and it's this one, that has depth true, true depth, and it has been the most successful one, however long it lasts, but there's so much depth. And although we haven't created a full space of authentic everything coming out, it's, it's, it's striving there, particularly because heartfelt conversations are always invited. Even if I'm becoming the island man, you know, I still can, like, from my island be like, I hear you, I, I, lo- I love you, you know? Um, and then, like, maybe take a step out of the island into the water a little bit, you know? I mean, that's beautiful work because that's the leaning in. The leaning in, yeah. Right? Like, most of us, our back is turned. You think about the idea of the person chasing, or you're always chasing someone whose back is towards you. It's like when both of us can turn towards one another and not move, just stand still. I mean, that's, to be able to know that you can become an island and they can become self-abandoning, I mean, that's just, that, that's the gracious space that you trust enough to lean mm-hmm. in. I mean, that's really what we're doing is learning how to trust love again, but really how to trust ourselves when we are in love or sharing love uh, and that we only learn in relationship. Like, there's a saying that our wounds occur in relationship. And that's where they must be healed, you know, because that's the only place you see a different version of you in relating again. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's such a gateway. There's such a beautiful gateway of opportunity. Um, but I think we're often so afraid of the pain that dwells there that we don't realize the depth that dwells there is in the same murky water. Yeah, yeah. So then how about when we are with our partner <coughs> and, uh, you know, we're, we're triggered because they say one comment when they're washing the dishes and we're in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. How do we respond to those triggers? And really, what are, do those triggers mean to you? Mm-hmm. Well, triggers to me are always a gateway to an unhealed thing. I think of it a lot like PTSD because it's a very similar framework. You know, you might know someone or been someone who experienced, you know, you think of someone in the war. That's where we usually think of PTSD, where a loud noise went off and they're a person beside them passed who they're close to or maybe not. And when they're walking down the street, they hear a car backfire. And the same somatic experience happens. You'll hear people say, I thought I did the work, but I still get triggered. And I always say to them that the trigger doesn't go anywhere. The trigger is actually incredibly wise. It recognizes familiar circumstances and feelings and facial expressions and and the ingredients that go together to a place that might have hurt us. So it's not 
getting rid of a trigger. We actually don't want to get rid of them. What we want to do is honor them. There's wisdom in them. They're saying, hey, alert, alert, alert. There might be something occurring here. We need the adult to show up mm -hmm. and be discerning. Instead of reacting to the trigger, you start to respond to the information that you're getting in the trigger. And so that aspect of healing, I mean, how, you know, my it's not like my partner and I don't have triggers now. Right. Like that would be awesome, I think, but kind of boring, actually, let's be honest. But you know, when we're navigating something, you know, in couples, the couples that really do it well, they have a real low tolerance for negativity. So what that means is you might hear someone say, don't sweat the small stuff, right, in a relationship. Do you want to make a mountain out of a molehill or whatever the saying might be. But actually really successful couples don't let things build up. As soon as something happens like the, you know, you didn't wash the dishes or whatever it might be, and that's a familiar one for me in right. the last couple weeks, <laughs> is to be able to say, you're right. When we turn towards our partner's triggers and our own with curiosity, it's a totally, because recognizing the wisdom that's innate in them changes everything. Language is important. I mean, I think this is true of the world today as a very important skill to build. And I feel like as a collective, we just seem to have much less capacity for it. But it's to be open to influence by our partners. That's actually one of the most important things in relationship is to be influenced by our partner, to um, have thoughts, feelings, beliefs that are, we're open to hearing their thoughts, feelings, and beliefs. Because really, like you and I can experience the exact same moment relationally very differently. And it's because they come through our own programs, our own childhood, our own uh, traumas. And so when a relationship can hold two people's or more's experience as honoring that that is true for you and that is true for me, and actually a sacred relationship can say, this isn't about being right or wrong. This is about acknowledging that both of us can have the beliefs, thoughts, and feelings we do. Learning how to have the language to communicate all this is, for me too, a constant work in progress. You know, it's easy for us to go into, you never, you always. Right. Uh, that's like, we never want our partner to have a space to have never done the thing we're currently upset about. Mm -hmm. I've used it, I used it recently, and my partner was like, never, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, damn it, yeah. you know? Now let's chat about something crucial, that is omega-3s. You know I'm all about keeping clean and pure, when it comes to products, as well as food on my plate. But when it comes to supplements, right, we have to make sure we have the best of the best, but especially when it comes to omega-3s. And, and I really mean it. Omega-3s are some of the most adulterated supplements that exist out there. And a lot of companies aren't doing it right. We need omega-3s for our heart, for our brain, for our eye health. You might not be getting enough nutritionally. When it comes to Peori, it's a quality brand, not only just with Omegas across their whole line. They're extremely transparent. Every batch undergoes rigorous testing against over 200 contaminants, and you could check the results for yourself. And that's one of my favorite things. You can scan the QR code and look at the batch that is right in front of you that is on your shelf or on your counter, and you can see the results for this quality testing. Peori's O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil delivers a potent dose of EPA and DHA without any unnecessary extras. Now, Peori is offering 20% off of their O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil, the one that I take every single morning, and all their fantastic products to you, the Heal Thyself listener. That's 20% off even the already discounted subscription price. I want you to go to Peori.com. Use my promo code DRG. That's P-U-O-R-I dot com slash DRG to take care of your health with some of the best omegas out there by Peori. These days... 
these days, it seems like everyone is carrying on a beverage, whether it's soda or flavored water or kombucha or coffee or tea, but not all beverages are created equal when it comes to quality and health benefits. That is why I become obsessed with Peaks Sun Goddess Matcha. I've been using this for, it's one of the first supplements I really invested in. It's four years ago, probably. And it's not just any old matcha powder. We're talking organic ceremonial grade matcha tea that has been meticulously screened for pesticides, heavy metals, mold, and even radioactive isotopes. Peak takes no shortcuts. Their matcha is cultivated by ninth degree tea masters in Kagoshima, Japan, using century old traditions. Their plants are shaded for 35% longer than usual to maximize the production of vital compounds like L-theanine for calm, steady energy and chlorophyll for its detoxifying anti-aging properties. I start every morning with a frothy cup of sun goddess matcha, not just for energizing my body, you know, we all want to get that caffeine kick, yeah, okay, but for the amazing gut health, metabolism boosting, and antioxidant benefits. The phytonutrients nurture my digestive system, the EGCG compounds help my body burn calories efficiently, and the chlorophyll gives my skin the awesome reading. You see I'm glowing right now, right? That's because of the matcha. There's perfectly proportioned packets that are easy to mix with water whenever I need to pick me up, so easy to make a consistent self-care ritual. Peak is offering you, the Heal Thyself listener, 15% off of their sun goddess matcha plus a free beaker and a rechargeable frother when you go to peaklife.com slash drg they're so confident that you're going to love it there's even a 30-day money-back guarantee no code at checkout just go to p-i-q-u-e-l-i-f-e.com slash drg you're going to get 15 percent off plus all those freebies um but also that humor humor is so important in conflict not to be jokey where you're right. like sh you know shrugging it off but that you can laugh at life's challenges. Um, so that structure of language, uh, one thing that my partner and I use is to start the shares with in my experience. And the reason that language is so important is because it still creates this whole space for your experience. So in my experience, when that happened, so you name the actual experience, how I felt was this. And the other person's job is not to say, no, you didn't feel that way, because feelings are valid experiences, yeah. is to validate it. And then tell me more about that. Remember, you don't have to agree. Like a successful conversation navigated is not coming to agreement. Mm -hmm. It's that love's still present. That's it. That love and respect are present. If your conversations always hinder on the need to have agreement and approval, then you're not actually talking about the thing you're talking about. You're talking about the need to belong. And so that's what ends up operating at the ether. Really important reframing of goal, of a, of a conversation or an argument. Because I think most people listening, and sometimes me for sure, will be like... Me too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, oh, but it's done, but did I make my point? Am I right? right? I did love it, being right. It, oh, it feels great to oh, the ego. It's the best. <laughs> yeah, it, but instead, uh, choosing to get into a place where we can have a conversation that may have no resolution, but love is still present, right? Is that, is that what, what you're getting at? That, that we can still feel like, hey, I allowed you the space to, to tell me with your experience, to tell me what you feel, and I approach with curiosity and heard what you said, and I'd love to learn more, because I'm your partner and I love you. Right. Powerful stuff. Getting to that state of agreeing to disagree. Yeah. I mean, my partner and I recently agreed to disagree on the experience of, an, of a moment. Yeah. And I was like, like it was so hard for me because I, to protect myself, I want to be right. Because mm -hmm. then there's some sense of certainty, but it's really at the cost of connection. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an ego, as opposed to being like, oh, wow, we both experienced that differently and we just don't agree on how we, you know, 
each of us experienced it. Mm. But we agree that both are allowed to exist. And ultimately, that's unconditional love. You know, like, I really find that that is being invited for us to learn as a collective right now. You know, you see families spread apart from political or medical ideologies, as opposed to why is there not space for all of this? And then it's because there's fear present and there's so many things going on. But to be able to say, like, we're both allowed to experience it this way. Yeah. And that's so beautiful. That's actually how human systems work. Mm-hmm. They're never going to agree. That's the, isn't that the beauty of it, I think? Mm-hmm. Is that's what allows us to discover the truth. And, you know, whatever the truth is even, because that's an abstract idea, idea mm-hmm. even. And, you know, ultimately, the truth isn't afraid of discussion. Because, again, it's, it only is if it hinges on being right. But it allows us to expand, right, in the relationship. Yeah. Even if we have, we think we have the truth and it dissolves, it's, we're still expanding Amen. in the relationship and having, and having that space for love. It's, it's really the conversation, at least talking to you, really reframes a lot of things. Um, and I always say it's always truth to me when I feel it, right? Yes. And, and I definitely feel a lot of the things that you're saying, everything you're saying, because... Uh, at the end of the day, it takes so much pressure off being right. It takes so much pressure off of like, I'm going to show up like this uh, because this is all I've been doing all my life and it feels most comfortable. But really now, it takes the pressure of us, ultimately of us just being slaves to our trauma, slaves to our right. childhood or adolescence. And and really, just hearing you say the word choice is so empowering. I know for me and people listening when they when they do it's it's going to be really empowering to go okay I can make a choice in this conversation and create it create, create security it. create the relationship I want I mean the reason I called create the love create the love when I started it was because I recognized that we're all waiting for these relationships to show up at our door but ultimately it's like people who are in relationships aren't happy happy people are in happy relationships it's what we bring to the thing Alan Watts has this quote where he talks about how um, at some point when we wake up to conscious choice, we become the gods we've been taught to praise. Not to say that you can't believe in a deity or the universe or God, but this idea that giving away our lives to fate, you know, Carl Jung has a quote about that, that we'll just keep doing unconscious things and call it fate. Not recognizing that we can actually wake up in a moment and say, what is getting in the way of creating the relationship I want? What old patterns are in the way? What about the life I want? Because if you're hitting upper limits in relationship, I guarantee you're hitting upper limits in every area of your life because you're allowing what you've been taught about relationships and love and how they should go. For sure, you adopt the same similar or, or you know, upper limiting beliefs that aren't allowing you to experience the totality of life, being an entrepreneur, whatever it might be, being an artist. Like all of these, I mean, at least as a kid, I grew up in Canada. The majority of what I was taught was like, get this degree, do this kind of work, make sure you become an accountant, a doctor. I think we all get a very similar, get married by this age, have kids by this age. For me as a male, be a good provider. But eventually you realize those are all just constructs. They're all just constructs and archetypes that you're taught to fit into. And if you fit into them, you face the least amount of resistance from your environment. Not realizing that a lack of resistance in your environment does not mean you're doing well it really often means that you're conforming, which is not a problem. It doesn't mean that you can't live that life and it'd be beautiful. The more the question is, is that the life you actually want? Are the relationships you're settling for, are they actually the relationships you want? And you know, I recognized a long time ago, some people don't want deep soul shattering relationships or a deep soul shattering life for whatever reason. 
And that's totally okay. I think when we stop projecting this idea that everyone has to want to explore life the way we do, we like want everyone to see the richness that's available when we start to be aware of awareness mm -hmm. or be aware of connection and, and our impact on it, that we want everyone to taste the gloriousness of it. But you know, to, to be awake to our patterns doesn't mean you're absent of pain. Yeah. If anything, I'd say you experience more pain. But it's a recognition that pain, whatever we, however we may describe it, suffering is probably a better term, is actually always informing us. You know, Peter Crone has a great quote where he talks about how it's always informing us where we're not yet free. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true. The frictions we experience in our lives are always informing us where we're not free. Always. And we feel it in our body, and our body's a great communicator. Oh, it's, like, it's like, you see this situation, you ain't free here. Can we can we choose differently? Finally, it's it is literally just that the intuitive barometer that, that's showing us everything. I love the authenticity and the belonging because mm. we do give up most of our authenticity to belong. Right. And you mentioned conforming, and for me, whatever I learn, wherever I'm at, I've always I always want to just like talk it into the microphone so people can Same. learn it. And I'm like, okay, why doesn't everyone who listens to Heal Thyself do this? But the beauty is, again, like you said, in the relativity that where someone is here, you're here, you're here, you're here. It doesn't matter. It can be health. It can be relationships. It can be, they're all interconnected. But the beauty is that people are in different places in their mm -hmm. lives. And that's, that's seeing through relativity, you can see better where you are in your life and, right. where, and what you're choosing. And that's what we are. We're, we are, are, are sovereign. We, can, we, we have, that's it's our experience. Word. And it's so beautiful. Um, there's a lot of people in relationships, married, they have kids. How about the people who are single and looking for relationships or, or single was just in a relationship and then broke up? What are, what are some words that we can, well, deeper, wiser words than we're reading on the, just like, you know, our favorite blog? Yeah. So, so what, something that uh, you can contribute from the heart that we can really start uh, navigating this space as uh, single people. Mm. I mean, so much of being single is about reclamation. We talked earlier about why we're pursuing relationship. If I'm pursuing, you know, we know people who go through breakups and then automatically get into relationships right away. Right. They're never experiencing the space that lives in their aloneness. You know, even that feeling of being lonely. You know, I have a friend who once said to me that loneliness is the misconception that someone else will give you what you need. Aloneness is actually being, uh, standing in the power of our wholeness. You know, and really, like, I think about wholeness. Wholeness is really um, preserved by boundaries, right? And so when we're on that journey of being single, you know, I think a lot of us, have been taught the cultural Disney narrative to go find the one. Uh, the problem with that thought is that the one is a very scarce-minded. Anyone you get a sort of tingle for, you're gonna focus on like a tractor beam. And what it doesn't allow you to do is be discerning and see the red flags because they're the one. You have attraction to them. So it's being able to recognize, am I pursuing relationship because I wanna fill this space that I've never sat in or never explored? Am I uh, pursuing relationship and am I discerning about it? Like if we have consistent relational patterns where we're picking unavailable people, we're picking, uh, controlling, whatever the pattern might be, are we willing to look at it? Because ultimately the common denominator in all of our relational outcomes is us. And anyone we're in relationship with currently or have been, we chose to be in relationship with. Recognizing that choice can come with, you know, some grief, some, you know, sense of pain. 
but it also is the most liberating thing. When we are dating, one of the processes we often go to is we're waiting for someone who likes us, someone who chooses us. And in doing that, it's like, oh, you like me? I, I like you too then. You want that? Oh, I want that. Even though we're actually not being honest with what we actually want. So in the process of dating, move to the space of allowing someone to become the one, to earn the space, to show you that they have the behaviors, the values, all the things that you want in a relationship. And you have to get to know what you value and what you want. Often I'll ask someone, what are you looking for? And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, well, you can't date from that space. Yeah. Because what happens is, is you'll want whatever shows up in front of you. You'll match the thing that shows up in front of you as opposed to going out in the relational world. And I like to call it like going, fixing your picker. Fix how you pick people. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I will work with people and they'll have, they'll be like, oh, my Tinder has a, you know, a virus. I get all the bad, unavailable, toxic, narcissistic, name the term. And then you meet other people who used these platforms and found someone they deeply connected with. So it shows you that there's something that people who are identifying as red flags, for some people, other people are identifying as familiar or good or green flags. I see. And so it's being able to learn. Like if you had people who were chaotic and unreliable, you might associate that with love. So as a single person, I mean, there's so much hope and it comes from the space of taking responsibility for how you show up to relationship. You know, if you believe that there's no good men out there, no good women out there, no good people, that's what you will validate. We don't recognize how many unconscious beliefs we have about love. You know, I like to get people to finish two sentences to recognize where they're unconsciously, whether unconsciously avoiding and or creating. One is, when I let people love me, they. And we have to answer that truthfully. Like when I let people love me, they, often the answers are betray me, lie to me, leave me, don't choose me back. Um, and then the other one is when I love people, I. Lose myself, abandon myself, um, run, you know, whatever it might be. And just cultivating those two questions, just going uh, with no judgment into what the answers might be, we can begin to discover how and why we date the way we do and what our upper limits are in what we think will happen mm. if we go down the adventure of opening our hearts. If I think when I let people love me, they betray me, I will likely seek anyone who will continue to betray me and or I will just avoid people. I will avoid, I'll become the island. Right. Right. So I think just exploring it that way. Dating can be the most healing, fun adventure. And if it's not that then there's work to do to make it fun, to recognize that you're in a position of power to choose what relationship you want. Mm -hmm. And that is completely changes it. You're not attached to swiping left or right or whatever, you know, being unhinged or being in line at Starbucks. Get your head out of your phone too. Like if you're walking down the street or you're standing in line, get your head out of your phone because eye contact, you start to see the world, you start to see the possibility of connection, mm. which I think we're all... I mean, it's hard to stand a chance against teams of behavioral scientists that want to keep us in our phones. Oh, 100%. And we do fall into it. And all the cues are there. Yeah. Sucks us right in. And you put all your work in the phone. I put all my work in the phone. So I know you're on it just as much as it's me. It's hard. Man, but it really is hard. But you said the word boundaries, yeah. which was really powerful. So how about for us folks who just experienced a breakup and we're sitting at home and we're like, man, this is really tough for me. Uh, maybe someone's crying. Maybe someone's really angry. Uh, and they go, I lost myself in this relationship, or I abandoned myself, I'm mad at myself, and I'm also mad at my partner. Yeah. Um, 
what's, what's a, what are some things that we can do to really empower ourselves in that really sensitive moment? I mean, you're grieving to allow it Feel to be, it. right? Like, first thing is recognition of the biological process that's going on. I mean, when they look at the brains of people who have just gone through a breakup, the same parts of their brains light up as cocaine addicts. Mm. So there's like an addiction, and often that addiction uh, is a way that we keep the love alive, the ruminating, the catastrophizing. You know, we, that's the way we keep the feeling there. You know, I often find that the recognition that the amount of pain you're experiencing in a breakup is actually indicative of the amount of love that you're uh. open to. So that way we can start to see there's actually something to be really grateful for here. I'm someone who loves. I'm someone who's open. That doesn't mean that we can't be more discerning or learn how to curate the way we love better and to build boundaries around how we love. But it's to recognize the beauty in, in the fact that we open our hearts and to go into it. You know, Francis Weller is a psychotherapist who talks about how our souls dwell in the darkness. I love that, to think like, in there is actually who you are. I remember talking to this spiritual teacher named Gangaji, and I said to her, I'm afraid to go into silence. And it was when I was going through my breakup. And she said, what are you afraid you're going to find there? And I said, more of me. And I was like, what is there to be afraid of? Mm -hmm. Like that, there's, I find a lot of new grief is actually old grief. And it was stuff I hadn't processed. Yeah. You know, and grief is the gateway. You know, it's the space that allows us to go into where we need to be loved and what we need to work on. Mm. So if you're going through a breakup and you're angry and you're, you know, you might be many things, accept where you're at and make healing a priority. And what that means is you can't put yourself in positions where you're allowing yourself to be re-injured, like checking out their Instagram stories, their oh, Instagram, yeah. their, like you're literally putting your heart in the space of, it might as well just be archery right at your heart, you know? And I've done it, you yeah. know? It's like, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't listen to Adele, although that's <laughs> a dangerous endeavor. Because sad music reminds us that other people are sad too. You know, it sort of gives us that feeling of recognition and acknowledgement. But this idea that we just have to have progress, whatever that might mean. You know, I think we often try to save people from feelings we don't know how to hold. I never try to save people from heartbreak because I know it's been the most expansive gateway for me. Mm -hmm. So when someone's like, I'm heartbroken, I'm like, beautiful. What do you need to go into it? Do you need to be held as you navigate it? Because if we've never gone into those spaces on our own, it could feel incredibly overwhelming. Yeah. But if we know that we have, you know, kind of how divers have a string that they hold on to, if we know that we have someone who's like, hey, I'm right here, and like, you've got this. Ah. Mm -hmm. oh, I mean, I, I personally think heartbreak is probably um, the greatest access point to self because all rock bottoms are access to self. And we normally think of rock bottoms as spaces like someone doing drugs and overdosing, right? That's sort of our mm -hmm. standard uh, definition. But I think any time you experience um, the pain of not being in alignment with your own soul and self, that is always an invitation to become who you actually are. Oof. And for me, that was, that was the birth of everything, was heartbreak. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, I'm not actually who I am actually. Mm -hmm. You know, which sounds redundant and weird. But I think any time we experience that pain of misalignment or not being authentic, we're usually one or two choices away from getting back to who we actually are, becoming who we actually are. And 
there's no place we wear more masks than relationships. So <laughs> when the relationship ends, you don't have to wear the mask anymore. Mm-hmm. And hey, you know, like that's the time to do it because when you're going through a breakup and all of a sudden you start discovering boundaries and authentic self-expression, your friends are like, just leave them alone. Like they're going through some shit. That's the best time to do it. Like yeah. just give birth to who you are. Maybe you need to move. Maybe you need to block them on Instagram or social media. A lot of us say, I can't do that. I don't want to hurt their feelings. That's, again, us prioritizing their feelings over ours. We should be able to, if it's safe, uh, if we're using it as an excuse to communicate with them, then I don't recommend doing it, and we all know when we're doing that, is to, if if it's safe, we express to them, hey, I'm going to have to unfollow you and block your stuff because it's hard for me to heal. What their response is to that doesn't matter. It's the fact that we're doing it. And we, if it's not safe to communicate it, you just do it. Yeah. And that is saying what, what I feel matters. Healing me matters. It's the number one priority over everything. Once you're shaken up in a breakup and you're with yourself, you get to look and go, oh my God, I was not authentic at all. Right. Why didn't I say that that moment, you know? Why didn't I show up that, that way? God, and then pay close attention. I always tell people when you're angered and fully hyper-emotional, you get to stop and go, this matters to me. Like, I need more boundary. And then all of a sudden it leaks out of relationship and be like, why do I do this at work? You know, or like, why don't right. I put more boundaries in my friendships? You know, why don't I speak to this? And it's like, all of that energy starts moving. So I always say, pay attention in this time because it's a sacred time for you to start really seeing what matters to you. Um, after one breakup, I moved to the mountains and I just lived by myself and I sat with myself and I, I went through unprocessed emotions and I go, wow, this, the emotions towards this breakup were like painful for a week, but after that week, it was not about her. It was about unprocessed emotions. So then it just became this whole healing journey. But how can we ever try to protect someone from a breakup if it's so beautiful it's in that it's that moment exactly juicy is the word man listen we could be here for three hours and i know you're a busy guy how do these audience members find your work thanks so much for having me 100 percent. i consider it such an honor to be trusted with an audience that's someone that that people trust so thank you for for sharing um all of these hearts you can find me on instagram at create the love i talk a little bit more about what's sort of going on in the world at it's mark roves and then I have a podcast called The Mark Groves Podcast, which I can't wait. We're, we're I'll be getting, on there. Yeah, we're getting it set up. And uh, I mean, I have lots. I have courses on how to get, navigate a breakup, how to heal codependency. One that I did with Sylvie Kokashin on um, attachment. So there's lots of opportunities and resources out there. And you can find those on createthelove.com. Everyone check it out. If you're going through something or anything, vibe with you, lean into that. There's the courses available. Learn more. All right, brother. Thank you so much for showing up. What you're doing in the world is we much needed. It's not just relationships. As you said, it's, it's everything. It's your authenticity. Uh, and, and you are creating that space for people to remember who they are. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Appreciate it. Fantastic show. I told you this guy is an expert on all things love and relationships, but as you see, no one's perfect. And we're all in this learning together about our own selves through the importance of relationship and relativity. So be easy on yourself, have some grace, and thank you for joining the show. As always, rate, review, subscribe, support the show, Heal Thyself, send it to your grandma, send it to your auntie, to your uncle, whoever you feel needs the love. I'll see you next week.